Uh, good evening. I am here in the building. I'm not out and about. I've been welcomed back into the building. It's great to be here tonight talking about this theme of hope for creation. Now, um, before we get stuck in, um, uh, this morning I was thinking um, with the 9.30 service, Nay and I play this game when we're in the car, and I wonder if you play it too. The game is called Where Would You Go Right Now? And it's often a game that we play as we're traveling somewhere, maybe somewhere that we don't want to go, like, I don't know, the supermarket. And we play the game Where Would You Go Right Now? Nay is a big mountains fan. She loves a snow mountain, and I am a beach fan. Well, I love the mountains as well, but I love the beach um, sort of equally. So uh, where would you go right now if you, if you could have a little think? Um, because we love exploring the world, don't we? We love creation. We love the great outdoors. And tonight we're thinking about God's created world and hope for creation. Over the, the last few years, we've heard so much, haven't we, in the news about the climate emergency, global warming, climate change. It's in the news and the media so much in, uh, all the time. And the world, as we know, is in a bad way. The planet that we live on is struggling to uh, survive and, and deal with the, the amount that we're using it. And it's because of things that we've done and the things that we've not done that it's in the way it's in. Just some science, science facts, just to paint a little picture. Now, you've probably heard these on the news, but just a little reminder to get us thinking tonight. 1% of the world's population, 1% creates 99% of the world's emissions. The impact of climate change could be irreversible by 2030, and 20 of the warmest years on record have been in the last 22 years. Other estimates say that we are using 30% more resources than is sustainable, and if we keep up this level of usage, uh, we will need the equivalent of two planets by 2050. Now, all these figures are pretty mind-boggling. But create, uh, climate, the climate emergency is not a new problem. And during lockdown, I discovered, when I went through some old schoolwork, it was one of my lockdown uh, to-do lists, uh, I went through some of my old schoolwork from when I was, well, I'm not going to give away my actual age, but I came across this piece of work that I did in uh, the year, I'm not going to give away the year either, actually. And it says this, it says this, this is what I wrote, and this was my hope for creation um, back when I was at school. It says this, I would like most of the cars to have unleaded petrol. I think that ages me already. I would like the aerosol cans to be ozone friendly. Do you remember the CFC thing? I would like the animal traps for rabbits and badgers to be banned. And my wish for 1993 would be that there would be, uh, for there to be no oil spillages in the seas so that marine life wouldn't die. So that was my um, hope for creation back in 1993. I'm not going to give away what year at school I was in, but creation uh, problems date not even back the last two years in the media, not even back to when I was at school, but I'm going to say tonight, back to the beginning of creation, the beginning of time almost. And the media paints the climate emergency uh, like a scientific problem or an ethical uh, or a political problem or an economic problem, but tonight I would love us to think about climate change as a theological issue. I don't know whether you think of it as a theological issue, but tonight I'd love us to get thinking that it is. Now, I recognize that it, this is a massive topic to cover. This it probably could cover a whole week of talks. Uh, so we're not going to cover all of the, the ground tonight. Uh, I'm no expert either, but I'm excited that later on we're going to be joined by guys who've given loads and loads of thought to this. So stay tuned for them and join us in the Zoom after the service. 
but I'd love us just to get thinking tonight. And this is a, a little introduction. And I'd love us to frame our thinking tonight around uh, what some theologians call uh, the, the creation, the decreation, and the recreation. It's like the beginning of time, where we are now, and looking forward to the future. So let's dive right in tonight. Firstly, we know, as I said, in those statistics that I read out at the beginning, that our environment, the planet that we live on, God's creation is not in a good way. It's in trouble. And crucially, I think this is really interesting to, to note as well, that climate, the climate emergency is a justice issue because the impact of it is seen to hit the most poorest areas, both first and the hardest. Areas around the world in Africa uh, where the climate is drying out, where crops can't grow. Areas in Asia where there are low-lying islands that are at risk of being submerged underwater in both Asia and the Pacific Ocean. And those least responsible for it are often impacted the most and suffer the most. Some look in the Euro European area, to back to the Industrial Revolution, to the start of where modern industry created uh, coal burning and where uh, our, our, our um, pollutants were going up into the, into the atmosphere through all the coal and the fossil fuels with, that were used at that time. But as I said, I'd like us to go right back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden, to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. This is the biblical accounts of how the world began, how life began, where God's instructions were, um, and what us as the human race did. So God creates. The Bible says that God spoke and life came into being, that we came into being. Every living thing was created by him and for him. And the final thing it says that God created on day six was us, the human race, man and woman in his image. The crown of creation, some people call it. Genesis 1, chapter, uh, Genesis 1, verse 31 says this, God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. God was pleased with what he'd made and he loved his creation. So my first point tonight is this, that we as the human race are called to care. We are called to care. And Genesis 2, verse 15 says that uh, the, the people that God made, Adam and Eve, were called to work and to care for the land. So we are called to care. But as we know from the story, as it goes on into Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve didn't follow that instruction to care for the land. They were tempted by the devil to go their own way, to live selfish lives, and sin entered the world. Essentially, they were uh, living as if the, the planet they'd been given was theirs and not God's. And instead of treating it like gods, they treated it uh, for their own selfish purposes. And in, uh, uh, they overworked it and undercared for it. And so, in the words of that Romans passage that, that Precious, Precious read to us, creation started to fall into decay. Now, Paul was writing these words in Romans to the church in Rome, and clearly things weren't right with creation then either. Clearly, Paul was writing longing for change, longing for um, and hoping for a breakthrough, that God would break through and restore things back to how they were. And now us, we on this planet, almost 2,000 years after Paul has written those words, are feeling the same pain that Paul was writing about. I think they almost express the pain that we feel about the climate emergency today, 2,000 years on. My second point tonight 
in this situation now is that we groan with pain. Romans 8, verse 22 says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present day in the hope that creation will be freed from decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. When we look around us, we see an amazing world. We see uh, mountains, jungles, rivers, beaches, all different parts of the world that we can uh, enjoy and go to. The world is awesome, the world is beautiful, but also in decay and pain. And this pains God and this pains us. Creation is groaning, Romans says. And we groan with pain for it, for change, for healing, and for restoration. The, the word groan in, in the Greek word uh, has a slightly different translation in some, in some ways. Some people call that word to groan like it's being squeezed, like life is being squeezed out of creation, like it's almost being strangled. And we, we see that in the way that we use it now. So theologians call this decreation. So we've had the creation in the Garden of Eden. We've seen the way that we've gone to uh, not follow God's instructions, to overwork and undercare for it. And we enter this phase now that we would call decreation. And we live in this tension between being called to care and uh, the situation where we've abused creation now. Last year in July, right outside the doors of St. Nick's here in the city centre of Bristol, we were joined for a whole week by the climate change protest group, Extinction Rebellion, and they set up camp in the park and on the bridge, and they organised a whole series of peaceful protests and lectures and awareness-generating campaign. And some of us in the staff spent some time around the park getting to know some of these guys. And whether or not you agree with uh, the Extinction Rebellion tactics or their, uh, what, they, what they get up to, every one of us, I'm sure, can agree that the cause that they're fighting for is, is a right one to be fighting for. But it got me thinking about how us as Christians, how us as the church, um, know both the scientific facts and also the theological truth, that we respond to both the science and the Bible. And this is a unique position for us. I believe Christians can be on the front foot fighting uh, for change, campaigning for um, policies to change, trying to change our actions in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools and, and the, uh, wherever we find ourselves. And I believe the church has a key and an influential voice in the discussion. If the church together, that's you and me, all the churches in Bristol, the UK, Europe and the whole wide world, if we all pull together, it would be a massive impact on how we respond. And just a little uh, illustration of this. St. Nick's, the church, we're part of the Church of England and the Diocese of Bristol. And almost a year ago to this day, uh, last year in November 2019, uh, Bristol Diocese was the first diocese in the whole of the Church of England, in 44 dioceses, I think it is, uh, to declare a climate emergency. We were, um, as, a, uh, as a diocese, um, hoping and pledging that by 2030, we would cut our carbon emissions to net zero by 2030. And as a church, St. Nick's, we are thrilled that we are a part of that. We signed up to commit to that over the next 10 years. So we know, don't we, that we need to act now. Responding to this affects how we use our money, what the choices are with the food that we buy, uh, with the clothes that we wear, with what we throw away and with what we use. It requires both thought and effort 
And I came across a brilliant website um, as I was preparing for this talk, and the, uh, over lockdown I've used as well. And the website's called Count Us In. And this website, you can look it up um, if, you, if you search for it, Count Us In. And it's a brilliant website that has 16 different actions that you can do to help uh, reduce both your energy usage, uh, what you throw away, everything from cutting food waste uh, to repairing belongings and reusing them to uh, flying less, which I'm sure that most of us have done uh, in the last few months. I've certainly not flown anywhere. Um, and uh, the thing that I loved as well, um, it's brilliantly laid out in terms of the effort that it takes and the impact that it has. And one of the things that I've done um, over lockdown is think about my energy supply in my house. So we've switched to green energy, sustainable energy. And I really recommend checking it out, countersin.org. Uh, and there's plenty more that we can talk about about that after the service um, on the Zoom. But, so we've had uh, creation, we've had decreation. The spoiler alert to us thinking theologically about climate change is that we know the ending of the story. We know that God is in the process of restoring and renewing all things. So we groan with creation, but we know that there is hope for creation because we know the ending. We know that God is in the process of recreation. And my third point is this tonight. My third point is we hope for restoration. We hope for restoration. In Revelation chapter 21, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Throughout the Gospels accounts, Jesus in the New Testament um, talked a lot about the kingdom of God. He talked about heaven coming to earth, that he was bringing heaven to earth, that heaven was invading earth. And when Jesus conquered death and rose to life, this was the moment where the restoration process was fully underway, that God, by raising Jesus from death to life, was beginning the process of renewing all things, both us as humankind as sinful and fallen, but also creation in, in a redemption. And he was promising the whole of creation a new life. And the hope that we have as Christians is that one day God will make all things new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And one day when Jesus returns, creation will be restored to God's original plan back in Eden, back in that moment of creation. Today is uh, is Advent Sunday. It's the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a moment where we wait with anticipation and expectation for Christmas, thinking about that first incarnation of God coming to earth as a baby. But what we often forget is that Advent is that also looking towards Jesus coming again, the second coming of Christ. And as we celebrate that Advent, we remind ourselves uh, that Jesus will one day come again to complete the restoration plan. But until then, uh, our job is to live better now and to act to slow down the, and reverse the damage that we've done to the planet. It's got to the point now, scientists think, that if we don't act now, the damage that we do will become irreversible. And when I was young, probably when I was writing this little school piece um, back in the day, I had this sort of theological understanding that one day we would leave this world, this polluted, this broken, this fallen world, we'd leave it when we die and head to heaven, which was a much better place. And gradually, as I've uh, explored the Bible and read different theologians, 
I've come to realize that actually when God completes creation, when Jesus comes again, heaven and earth will be one and it will be a new creation. Check out theologians like Tom Wright in his brilliant book, Surprised by Hope. And essentially what, what Tom Wright is saying in this, reading that Revelation 21 passage, is that God means to restore creation, not to abandon it, not to discard it, but to restore creation. So just because we believe that God will one day make all things new doesn't give us an excuse not to act. It gives us a reason to act right now, to strive to live well, to join in with God's recreation plan. So we know what will happen in the end, and this affects how we live today. So then, what can we do? I touched on it earlier on uh, in the counter-sin little um, moment, but what can we do now to change how we act? What changes can we make today, tonight even, uh, to be part of that recreation process? Well, I would love, by the wonders of technology, to um, invite two guests to join me. And uh, the two guests are friends of mine, uh, David Smedley, who's a part of our St. Nick's congregation, and also John White, who is a local church pioneer church leader in Bristol. And I'm going to ask them uh, two questions, because these are the guys that are going to join me on the Zoom at 6.30. So um, I'm hoping David and John are there. David is right here. Good evening, David. Good to see you. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Yeah, good. Uh, now, we, uh, give us a little teaser for what we can expect later on uh, in the Zoom. Tell us, um, I'd love to ask you guys both two questions. The first is this. What impact does your faith, your Christian faith, have on your approach to the climate? So, Dave, ask. Yeah, go for it. Sure, Matt. I think it's, um, I was fortunate enough um, while I was studying and researching to go out to parts of West Africa and see firsthand the implications of what this, what this crisis is going to mean for people on the ground. Um, and it's, it's, you know, throughout the Bible, as you said, there are these continuous references, one after the other, um, to how, about how we need to care for the poorest in our society. Um, and as you said, totally correctly said, those, the, the poorest, most vulnerable people on the planet are going to be most, the first and the most severely affected um, by the impacts of the, climate, the whole climate crisis. And so cruelly, they're also the least to blame for what's befelling them. Um, so, so I think we, we have this, this fundamental mandate as part of our faith to care for the poor. It just happens that in this case, they're on the other side of the planet and completely out of sight. Yet the, the actions that we make here in Bristol in our own lives directly affect um, what, what's happening to them. Um, and then also, I think, again, I think also expanding as we said earlier, I mean, we have just been given this responsibility for this planet um, and all its incredible diversity um, and the wealth of life that it contains. Um, and now that we know the implications of our actions and what's, what they're kind of leading to, um, I think we have, a, we have a responsibility to now act on that and, and, and deal with it at a global scale. Because um, I just don't believe that, that, um, that God allowed this sort of magnificent array of creation to come to being just so that we could knowingly destroy it. And we know that we are destroying it. Um, and it's, it's kind of ironic that also that diversity and um, that abundance is actually what really sustains us and allows us to persist. Um, but then, so the good news is that there's loads we can do. And I just want to stress, it's, it's the important of what us, each of us as an individual can do to try to kind of mitigate what's happening. And the first thing um, is just to talk about it. Um, have conversations with your, with your family, with your friends, with, and as a church. Uh, not necessarily debates. Um, and that's just because most people don't talk about this. It can be such a polarizing issue um, and quite a challenging one, one to, uh, to, to, to bring up. Um, so really, it's just about engaging with each other on the topic. 
uh, not necessarily arguing about the facts of the science, but talking about why it matters to you. You know, what, what are the pinch and the pain points? Well, how is this going to affect you what you really care about um, and, and the things that you hold dear? Um, because really, um, I think we're going to discuss this later. There's loads of small things we can do. But the first thing is to acknowledge um, that there is an issue. Um, and by talking about it, that kind of leads to scheming, to plans, which then results in action, like we're going to talk about, that creates responsibility, that leads to habit, and then that kind of leads to the all-important change that we need to see. Um, so we need to talk about it as friends, within our families, and as a church. And then briefly, just in terms of practical actions. So the four biggest sectors that are driving biodiversity collapse and the climate change agenda are agriculture, um, transport, energy, and fashion, the most forgotten one. Um, so that, those are the four sectors and kind of industries that are really driving this issue. Um, so we need to think about how we interact with each of those sectors um, day to day and in our long-term planning. And 99% of the time, how we interact with those, those, with, with those areas is how we spend our money. What we eat, the clothes we buy, how we use energy, what kind of energy we use, um, all that kind of thing. So it's really thinking about, and then also think about how our money works for us. So where are our pensions and our investments held? You know, what kind of companies are we actually propping up and supporting by investing our money? Um, so it's thinking both day to day and in the long term, um, how we interact with those, with those different agendas um, and kind of building a climate change environmental, climate change issue and the environmental agenda into our decision making when, 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 when we're spending our money. Um, because the, those individual decisions cumulatively are really far reaching and so have global implications. Brilliant. David, thank you so much. That's amazing. Uh, you jumped my second question, which was basically, what action can we take uh, as individuals in the church? So thank you, uh, David. There's more from him uh, shortly after the service. And the other person I'd love to ask the same question to is a guy called John White, who's a pioneer church leader in Bristol. Uh, so John, tell us what impact does your faith as a church leader have um, on how you approach the climate? And what um, action can we take uh, to, uh, as individuals and as a church? Over to you, John. Yeah, I think um, uh, climate emergency is what kind of opened my eyes. And um, uh, Pope Francis uh, calls it an eco-conversion, where you actually kind of have your eyes opened up in the same way that you almost have a Christian conversion. Um, and I was at Windmill City Farm, which is a local farm, and I just saw the beauty of it and the community organization around it and had this awakening experience that this we can't lose this. We can't lose this beautiful creation. But what's been interesting is that as I've gone about studying, my theology around it's developed. And it's just, what it's been like has been like finding a hidden room in your house where you move away some wallpaper and there's this door and you open up and into it and you have this whole new room available to you. And spiritually I found going and thinking about creation care has opened up a whole new worship experience. It's opened up new experiences of God as creator it's opened up new experiences of Jesus as coming into humanity and into creation and the power of coming into context. It's made more sense of resurrection and the afterlife. And it's made more sense of myself, even thinking about fears around corona, uh, uh, coronavirus and grief. And I can talk about more, more about that later. So yeah, what started out as this kind of fuel for interest in this around um, the climate emergency has deepened into this rich life in Christ uh, in thinking about him as creator. In terms of the difference we can make is it feels sometimes quite overwhelming that you need to be an expert. Um, I suppose if you were to think about a year ago, if I was to say this thing called COVID's coming, 
get ready for it. Um, it wouldn't be an, a response to say, well, let's just have some conversations. You, you would have to take action on it, right? People would have, let's start theme up vaccines, let's get ventilators, let's organize, let's all become Zoom experts. We would do something about it. And yet we know climate emergency is happening. We know we have real issues coming and we're just not moving fast enough. So our kind of um, thing about at Hazelnut is let's work and prepare now for the future that's coming. And the way that we can do that is make individual choices, but really they need to be linked up in as a community. So let's form a community that makes and lives a different way. And then let's move that into a network as well. So we have individuals living in a community, networking with others. So we're not alone in this. St. Nick's, Hazelnut, wherever you are, we need to be all working for this together. And that's where real change happens. Great. Thank you so much, John. Uh, so uh, come along at 6.30, find out more about the Hazelnut uh, Community Farm, which is an urban farm, a missional church uh, meeting in Lockleys on some ground. Uh, John is leading that. So we'd love uh, you to come and find out more about that at the end of the service. Uh, John and David, thank you so much. We'll see you shortly. Just then, uh, to finish tonight, I'd love uh, to give you what... Um, I think I can only describe as a musical illustration of this. And I'm going to move over to the keyboard, so um, bear with me. Join me over on the keyboard over here. Because I was, the other day, um, getting ready for Christmas, and uh, one of the traditions that we have at our house, at, um, at the Southcombe House, is when we um, get ready for Christmas and we put up uh, the Christmas tree, we put the film The Snowman on. And, in fact, when we got our decorations up. We haven't got our decorations or our tree up yet, but we're getting ready to do that, so we got, our, we got these out. So I found my little snowman scarf. And um, the film The Snowman, you'll know it. We put it on when we put our tree up. Uh, the film The Snowman has this famous theme tune. It goes like this. You remember it? Now this is my little Bill Bailey moment. I don't know if you know the com comedian Bill Bailey who sort of, sort of does comedy moments and talks at the same time. Um, so that's a sort of melancholic tune. It's a sad tune. And you'll know the story of the snowman, where the boy uh, makes the snowman. He comes to life. They have an amazing adventure. They go off to the North Pole. They meet Father Christmas. And then the next morning, what happens is the boy wakes up in the morning. He expects to see, uh, to rush downstairs, to open the door and see the snowman that he's made. And what happens is he opens the door, the sun is blazing, and the snowman has tragically melted. And I was thinking about um, creation care and our treatment of the planet and our, our sometimes the groaning that we have uh, in pain about the decay that we see. But the interesting thing about the end of the snowman, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but this um, I saw the other day and it really spoke to me as a little moment of this whole tension between decreation of the decay that we see in the planet and the hope we have for recreation is right at the end of the credits as the, as the camera zooms out on the boy around the, um, the snowman. It suddenly changes from this theme tune that we know to this moment of... Suddenly the tone changes and at the end of the credits we're left with this sort of moment of hope, I think. It goes into a major key, and suddenly what seems so desperate and the decay of, um, of the boy and his snowman turns into a moment of hope. So I like to think of the end of the snowman not as a sad moment, not as a moment where uh, we think, oh, that was such a sad moment, but with that, that little moment of hope, 
where the music changes. You have to wait right to the end of the credits. So next time you watch it, remember that the end of the snowman is not a sad moment, but it's a moment where we can have hope for the promise of new creation, for the restoration of all things, where God hasn't given up on the planet, but is in the process of renewing. So this Christmas, if you watch the snowman, remember that there is hope for creation. I'm going to take my scarf off right now. And um, thank you so much. I'm getting a little a round of applause for my, um, for my moment. So why don't we now, we're going to pray uh, together. We're going to pray for God's world and for our part in uh, the restoration plan. So why don't we, um, just where we are, just pause and pray and then we're going to go into worship. So God, we thank you for your amazing creation. Thank you that this is your world that you made. You said it was very good and you loved creation, you love us. And God, we're sorry for where we as a human race have been selfish, where we've overworked and undercared for your creation. And just as John was saying in that little interview, God, would you give us an, a, an awakening in our spirits about your creation? God, would you awaken our souls so that we see creation as you do, God? And as you are in the process of restoring, of recreating, of renewing, redeeming your creation, God, would we find our place and our part in it? So God, tonight, would you stir in us that desire to act? Would you stir in us that passion to see, God, your kingdom come? In Jesus' name, amen.